Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. Uh, one of the things we do here is that we read uh, scripture, and so I'm going to ask everyone to actually stand uh, as a sign of respect of, uh, to scripture. And so I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles that you can take with you. Uh, we don't recommend stealing unless it's a Bible from the Connect Desk. You can go ahead and take that with you if you don't own one, uh, but they will be, uh, the words will be on the screen as well. John, chapter 13. 13 from verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into his heart, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing to you, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one, to the one, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not, every, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may know that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. And so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread, When I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, 
Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Y'all can have a seat. This is the word of the Lord. Again, um, for those joining us online later on, my name is Arnaldo, pastor here at Anchor Southwest, and it's always a high honor and a deep pleasure uh, to have the opportunity to open up God's Word for us. And we're, again, kicking off this new series. We're going to spend a solid 12 weeks moving through some of the most intimate moments of Jesus' life with his closest disciples. And if Jesus were going to host a master class somewhere online on discipleship, John 13 to 17 would be that master class. This would be it. Noah the Gospel gives us the intimate access and details to Jesus' last night with his disciples like the Gospel of John does. You can, call, you can call John 13, 17 the words of a dying man, right? With his eyes full of sorrow, Jesus is about to enter, and his heart uh, just full of resolve. Jesus is about to enter into one of the most harrowing experiences of being abandoned and betrayed, left for dead, by his closest companions. We're going to find Jesus beginning to prepare his disciples to be launched out in this world-changing mission after his death and resurrection and his ascension back to the Father. Glory will come, we'll see in the Gospel of John. Glory will come. When we saw that last week as we spoke about the mission of God going out to all of the world, we saw that, but it's going to come only through death. And this is what I want us to experience over the next 12 weeks together as we spend time in these chapters. I want us to experience the absolute staggering beauty of the humility of the King Jesus. I want us to see again how the gospel, the the true story of what God has done in Christ, how the gospel rearranges what we think success looks like. We're going to explore the way that Jesus is the very expression and embodiment of Yahweh God. We're going to be confronted as we discover how integral, how important uh, obedience is to the life of the apprentice of Jesus. That if we say that we uh, follow Jesus, then obedience, it matters. Jesus isn't after just our hearts, right? He's after our whole selves. And there's going to be so much more. And, I, and so I want to implore you now as just uh, to, to please uh, make sure uh, that even if you can't be here, that you catch up online somewhere, YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. For the sake of your joy, I, I really believe that as we travel this uh, road together through the Gospel of John, uh, that there is joy on the other side. Now, with that said, before we jump in, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you that, in fact, the truest thing in the universe, even uh, though our felt experience may not tell us this, but uh, the truest thing in the universe is that you are good, and you are only good, uh, and that you are good for us, that you are good toward us, that you want good uh, for us, Lord. And so we just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would be here, that you would be drawing hearts and lives near to you, that you would be awakening those who need to be woken up from their stupor, that you would, uh, Lord, convict us, that you would comfort us, that you would encourage us by your word, we pray. Help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful and help me to remember the things that will be. And may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the church said, and the church said, there are two ways that I can get through a sink full of dishes after I wrestle the kids 
down. There's two ways. One that's a little bit embarrassing, but I'm, this is a safe space. And uh, I, I tr have trained myself that if I promise myself a snack after I do the dishes, then it could just get me past that line. I can, I can push through and I can finally just get up and, and do them, right? And, and so my, my uh, vice of choice is, uh, is a little bit of a Nutella toast, right? Like if I promise myself, this is how basic I am, right? If I promise myself one, ba like just a Nutella toast, that, that's enough for me to t tell Catherine, hey, baby, I got the dishes tonight. Don't worry. I'll, I'll push through. Uh, Pavlov was right. I've trained myself. I see a sink full of dishes. I begin salivating. I'm like, it's coming, right? And the other way is not as embarrassing, right? But I have to put my headphones in and blast oldies music. And what's sad about this is that if a song has come out in 1997, when I was a kid, it's considered oldies. 1997 is 25 years ago. Like, I can't even with that information. All right, so the other night, um, I was uh, listening to this. This came on, right? Boom, that was me. That's me. That's me in high school. It looks like, not really, uh, but that's Mace, right? So a Mace song comes on called uh, 24 Hours to Live. It's Mace and DMX and, and the locks, you know, the greats. Anyway, uh, and I can't really recite those words right now because I'm preaching, uh, but... Uh, it was absolutely wild to stand there doing these dishes and actually remembering all of these words. Like it was, it was crazy that I could recite word for word something that came out when I was like 12 or 13 years old. And it got me thinking, what would I do with my last 24 hours? Like if I had 24 hours to live, what would I do? Who would I tell? Uh, where would I go? What would I do? Uh, and uh, when you think about your, your own life and yourself, what, what, like what would you do, right? We would often take the trip or go bungee jumping, ju jump out of a, a plane, eat dairy, because who cares, right? Like how you're going to feel afterwards. Uh, but most of us, right? Like, I, I wonder if we just asked everyone in the world, like, what, what would we do? Some of us, you know, some people will sow wild oats or get revenge or spend time with their loved ones, spend time contemplating death. But then generally, there's this thread about our final 24 hours. It's ours. The, the, the thread there is, what am I going to do with my final 24 hours? What have I not done? What have I left uh, unfinished, or what, what do I feel like I need to accomplish? What's on my bucket list? For Jesus, what is he going to decide with his last 24 to 48 hours? Like, I wonder if, if, it's, if he's thinking about himself during his final hours of his life, maybe he'll get a bit of R&R, &R, get his disciples to soak in all of his good godness. How will Jesus spend his last 24, 48 hours. And we have to realize the dynamic that's at play here when we hear that question because what we're trying to do is that we're, we're trying to get the most important things out of us, right? Like when we think about our, our last moments, we want to get the most important things out of us. We want to experience what we feel is the most important. We're trying to make up for mistakes or make up for time misspent. In your last 24 hours, you want to dig deep within your soul and do the most important things. And we see this very dynamic here in the life of Jesus during his own final hours. He's going to pull back the curtain here in this text and show us what is at the very center of his life, what is the heaviest thing in his life. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to go through this text in about four movements. Uh, the first one is descent and ascent. The second one is the foot-washing gospel. Then that's going to lead into the foot-washing ethic. And finally, uh, the foot-washing Warning. So first, we're going to go to the descent and the ascent of Jesus. God, uh, I'm going to go back to the text, uh, chapter 13 from verse 1. 
Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the head, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Throughout the Gospel of John, we're going to see this recurring theme of Jesus uh, ascending and descending, going up and coming down. He, there's this constant motion of him, uh, an upward motion and a downward motion. And Jesus here knows that it's time for him to depart, right? It's time for him to go back to the Father. And it says that he loved them to the end, right? He loved them to the full. There's this word there that means uh, the fullness. He loved them to fullness. He loved them perfectly. There's no, there's nothing that the, that the disciples didn't have that they needed to be loved by Jesus. There's nothing that Jesus gave them that they didn't need. It's another way of saying that there's, there's just nothing that they lacked at all. And it's a crazy thought. It's a crazy thought to think that Jesus loves you perfectly, that there is nothing in your life right now that he hasn't given you that you need. There's nothing that you don't need that he's given you. And there's nothing that you lack that you need for Jesus to love you. His love is perfect. His love is complete. He loved them to the end. And knowing, knowing that already G uh, Judas had set his heart against Jesus to betray him, uh, John says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, right? Jesus has to be the most, and we, I mean, we know this theologically that Jesus is perfect, but when we see it, it's a whole nother thing. Jesus has to be the most emotionally stable person who has ever walked the earth. Ever, like ever, because what he is about to do, the thing that he's about to do to the person whom he's about to do it to, who's going to betray him, we think, why? Because I want you to remember who's in the room when he's about to bend over and wash the disciples' feet. Judas is still there, right? We often think Judas had like ghosted already, but he's, he's still in the room. Jesus is knowingly going to bend down and wash the feet of the person who's about to betray him. He knows who he is. Right? He knows who he is. He knows where he came from, and he knows where he is going. Jesus is nothing like King Herod, who killed his own family to secure his own kingdom. King Herod, if you don't know anything about him, it, it was often said, there was a rumor about him uh, that said that it was, it was safer to be a pig in King Herod's household than to be a son, because he slaughtered his old family. If he even got the scent that you would betray him, he wouldn't hesitate to eliminate you. And yet Jesus here knows that Judas has set his heart against him. And what does he choose to do? Coming down from the Father, knowing that he's coming, that he's had come down from the Father and is about to go back up, what does he do? He gets up from the table. He gets up from the table, he puts a towel around his waist, and he gets down. And notice, I want you to remember, it's not 11 pairs of feet. This, these are 12 men, even his betrayer, even in the descent to go down and wash his feet, what we really see there is the ascent of Jesus. 
that in his humility, he bent down to serve even his enemy. Why? Because Jesus knows something that so often we forget, is that that greatness, greatness is to be found in a towel, not a title. Greatness is to be found in service, not being served. Our culture, and every culture, it's not just our modern Western culture, but every single culture has seen power and influence in a radically different way than Jesus does, that we're called to in the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of the world, they value titles. The kingdom of God values towels. The kingdoms of the world values control. The kingdom of God is non-coercive. The kingdoms of the world, they value strength, but the kingdom of God comes in apparent weakness. The kingdoms of the world, they traffic in violence, but the kingdom of God is a vendor of peace. The kingdoms of this world and the systems and the powers and the principalities that animate these systems are diametrically opposed to the kingdom of God. And Jesus is exposing that as he goes down to wash their Feet. And he preaches now this, this foot-washing gospel in the next couple verses. Read with me from verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never, ever wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, Peter, listen. Peter's just being Peter. If you, if you know Peter, if you read the Gospels, Peter's just being brash Peter. If you read the Gospel accounts, you realize that he can be all over the place emotionally. If Jesus is the most emotionally stable person that we've ever met, Peter is close to being one of the emotionally unstable people that we meet in Scripture. He shoots from the hip. He doesn't really care where the chips fall. He's not afraid to be a contrarian. And so you imagine Jesus, your Lord, your master, your rabbi, you've been following him now for three years at this point, just about every day. You're watching him, you're listening to him, you're learning from him, and Peter still didn't get it, right? There are gaps in all of our knowledge here today, but Peter was with the creator of the universe for three years, just about every single day, learning from him, hearing him, walking with him, watching him, and he still had gaps in his knowledge. Peter was still being deeply shaped by the kingdoms of the world that valued status and titles, not service and towels. Peter here is scandalized. He still believes that greatness ascends and gets their feet washed rather than descends and washes feet. And Peter's like, never, never will you wash my feet, ever. And Jesus is like, well, if you're going to continue to think that way, you have no part with me. None. You have no part with me. And, and pragmatic, Peter's like, all right, well, my hands, my feet, like, I'll jump in. Where's the pool? Like, let's, let's get this going, if, if, if that's what this means. But this is Jesus' point, that if you can't allow me, this is Jesus speaking, not me. I'm not your Lord. If, if Jesus, Jesus says, if you can't not allow me, your Lord, to be your servant, you can't have me as your Lord. If you cannot allow me, 
your Lord, your rabbi, your teacher to first be your servant, you can't have me at all. Our relation to Jesus must always first, you know, you've, you've often heard receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but there's a step before there. It's receive Jesus as your servant. Jesus says here that you have to let me serve you first. He serves us first and foremost by forgiving our trespasses, canceling our debt by absorbing, absorbing it himself. I love the way that uh, Bruner puts it in his commentary, commentary. He says, forgiveness of sins will be the foundation of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ constantly. It's not, this is not the ABCs of Christianity. This is your life, that your primary, the primary way that we relate to Jesus is that he serves us by forgiving us, or there will never be a firm foundation or good relation with Jesus or his father ever whatsoever. This is hard on our pride, but it is the medicine for the submitting and finally relaxing soul. If we're ever going to have Jesus as Lord, we must also paradoxically have him simultaneously as servant. He serves us. Can we allow ourselves to be served by Jesus? And in a world where we are taught to lead by titles, not towels, this is like taking dynamite to the very core of the kingdoms of this world that protect their own power. Indulge me for just a moment. You know how important Leslie Newbegin has been to me. Uh, he says this, the foot washing is a sign of that ultimate subversion of all power and authority, which took place when Jesus was crucified by the decisions of the powers that rule this age. Without this radical subversion of the power's order, you cannot participate in the new world order of which Jesus is the head. He continues, he says, a total conversion a full U-turn is required if one is to follow Jesus. To accept the action of Jesus is to be cleansed decisively of the world's false concepts of wisdom and power. I love that. A total conversion, no half-stepping, no, a full U-turn is required to follow Jesus. And if one of the things, one of the things that we need to be converted from is the idea that greatness, power comes from titles rather than towels, from getting rather than giving. Jesus subverts everything we know about who God is here in this text. We must first be cleansed. We must first allow Jesus, the creator of the universe, the agent of creation, to serve us. That's the foot-washing gospel. Uh, so often we've grown up uh, in churches or have heard messages that say that if I do enough, that if I can do enough for God, if I can clean my life up enough, if I can just stop doing X or start doing Y, if I can just do something myself, then God will finally accept me. But this text here blows that out of the water, saying that God here comes to serve us. He comes to cleanse us, and it's only as a response that we now can serve him and others. And that flows right into the foot-washing ethic, meaning that however we understand our relationship with Jesus, how we understand him relating to us is the very foundation of how we relate to one another. Right? We, we need to get that very, very clear, that the way that we understand Jesus' relationship to us lays the foundation for the way that we relate to others. In fact, in fact, Scripture will say this over and over again, that the way we treat others, right, the way we treat our brothers and sisters particularly 
is the way that we, that, 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 that is our relationship with Jesus. Right? It's, it's a barometer for the true state of our relationship with Jesus. That the way you relate to others is a crystal clear window into the state of your relationship with God. That is scary for me sometimes, is it not? Is it just me? Knowing that the way that I feel and think and pray for or not pray for or love or not love my brother and sister is the barometer by which I will be judged. Follow with me again in verse 12. He says this, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me, and whoever receives, uh, whoever, uh, forgive me, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one that I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And Jesus is doing a couple things here. He's beginning to interpret this foot-washing gospel, what, the, 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 the picture that just took place, that they all took place in. He's beginning to interpret them. He's saying, don't get it twisted. I am your rabbi. I am your master. I am your Lord. And if even I your Lord and your master rightfully, if I can get down on my feet and serve you in this way, and by the way, the feet washing that would happen at that point was the, the task of the most, the lowest of slaves. There was a hierarchy of slaves, and if you were the lowest of the low, that was your job, to wash the feet of the people who came into your home. He says, if I am going to do for you the lowest of the lowest tasks, then you are to do them for one another. Because verse 17, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you what? If you do them. If you actually do them. This is knowledge that we do. This is not knowledge that we just keep in our heads. I can stand up here, and I'm going to put myself in the hot seat, but I can stand up here all I want and preach to you about how service subverts the patterns and practices of this world. I can, I can tell you how greatness is found in humility and service in a towel and not a title all I want. But if there is not a significant strain of service to others in humility in my own life, then I am a fraud. Straight up. Like, I'm, I'm, there's no half step in here. That, that, this isn't something that we just talk about. This is something that you are blessed if you do them. So Jesus interprets his actions not just as something the disciples take with them in their heads, but something that they enact, that they do, this foot-washing ethic that we are to do that to others. But he also comforts them by helping them realize that what's about to take place, that one of their own, I mean, I mean one of their very own, I'm, I'm not sure what your story is here, but I'm, I'm sure that there has been betrayal in your own life, that one of your own would sell you out 
And he's about to, he's comforting them, saying, listen, this has been, this has been prophesied, foretold in the scriptures. He doesn't want them to be caught off guard. He's saying, listen, when you see this come to pass, just know, I'm that guy. I'm that guy, pal. I'm the one. Just so you know, when this happens, when I'm betrayed, when I'm handed over to the authorities, I want you to know that I'm that guy. He says this, verse 20. He says, again, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me, receive, uh, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me re receives the one who sent me. And so not only is Jesus is comforting them, but he's saying, out of this, you're going to be sent out into the world. You're going to be sent out on this, uh, on this mission, but not before he gives them a warning. He warns them in the next few verses when he says, this after saying these things jesus was troubled in his spirit this turns real quick right this turns from kind of a uh, an upbeat nice ted talk thank you jesus for serving us in this way and teaching us to turns real quick jesus was troubled in his spirit and he testified he says truly truly i say to you one of you will betray me and the disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. And so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask of Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that the, disciples leaning, the disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? And he answered him. He says, it's going to be him who I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he'd said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. And so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why Judas betrayed Jesus, except to say that he received 30 pieces of silver for the life of Jesus. Now, it could have been that Judas got into the, you know, got into it with the wrong people, got into a bit of debt, was gambling, and had to kind of pay them off. But the problem is, with that, is that 30 pieces of silver wouldn't get you that much. 30 pieces of silver would be the equivalent of, of about 500 Australian dollars today. 30 pieces of silver was the price that was used, that, like, that's, a, that's half of a used iPhone, right? That's not much. Back in the day, 30 pieces of silver would buy back uh, the, a slave. So Jesus was sold for the price of a slave, next to nothing. And so it doesn't seem that, Je that Judas was trying to get uber rich off this deal as he sold Jesus into the hands of his enemies. You have to allow me some holy imaginings here we know historically speaking that the jewish people were not looking for a messiah like jesus the jewish people were not looking for a psychological or spiritual savior they were looking for a messiah a savior over and over again through the years that would come and remove rome from oppressing them they were looking for a political savior that would eradicate the foreign oppressive rule of rome over Israel. And over and over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus continues to let his disciples down. That is not first and foremost what he came to do. And so I wonder, 
I just wonder here. Allow me to wonder with you. I wonder if, if seeing his master, his Lord, who he wanted him to be a particular kind of master and Lord, and he continued to fail him, I wonder if seeing him go down in humility, in humiliation, to wash the feet of his disciples, I wonder if that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I wonder that if watching Jesus wash his feet didn't melt his heart, it hardened it. Could it be that Judas could no longer sustain his expectations being shattered again and again? That whatever plans he had made with the religious leaders in the past, whatever plans he had made to hand Jesus over, if he was unsure, at this point he is dead locked in sure at the contempt that he has against Jesus. He will give him up now. He thought that Jesus should have looked a certain way or acted a certain way. But it, could it be that to Judas, Jesus was a complete failure and was able to give him up for a small fee? And isn't this foot-washing warning for us as well? Can it be true that we have hoisted up onto Jesus some unrealistic expectations of what he should do for us? And when pain comes or disappointment comes, we sell him for a lot less than 30 pieces of silver. This is not just for Judas. This is, this is what we do. We often sell Jesus up the river because he hasn't met our expectations. I wonder, I wonder if we trade him for a small fee, an old sin, a cheap imitation of what he's offering us. And so in our text today, what we see, we see Jesus descending to wash the dirty feet of his disciples, a task that was reserved for the lowest of the slaves. We see Jesus teaching his disciples that if we're going to have him as Lord and Savior and Master, we must first accept him as servant. We see Jesus teaching his disciples that what they receive from him is not meant to terminate on them, but is meant to flow in loving service to others. I want you to remember this, that, that, Jesus, that grace doesn't come to us just for us. Grace comes to us on the way to someone else. And so what do we do with all this? And I want to be very quick here as I feel I've gone a bit over time. First, the first thing we need to do is simply receive. Simply receive. Receive the words of Jesus by faith that say, if you do not allow me to wash you, if you do not allow me to serve you in meekness, in humility, then you can have no part in my kingdom of which I am the humble king. Receive his washing, receive his cleansing. Understand that uh, Jesus in a short while is about to ascend again, but not to the Father. He's about to ascend on a cross to be abandoned by the Father so that you will never have to. He'll put down the false expectations we have about what God is supposed to look like or act like as he himself is hoisted up on a tree for our sake, the one, the master, the one, listen, the Bible says that one day every single knee will bow, every single tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. That one has bent his own knee to serve you. Isn't that wild to think that the one to whom all honor and all glory and all love is due used all of that to serve you? Like, I don't know about you, and I know power reveals us in a lot of ways, right? I wonder if power doesn't so much change you, it just reveals what's already there. 
and the one with all power, when he is revealed to us in the person of Christ, what does that come like? What does that look like? It looks like a towel. It looks like a basin full of, of dirty water with cow feces. Where just like That's what people's feet were full of. That's what power looks like. Before we do anything for Christ, before you are called to do anything for Jesus, we must allow Jesus to do everything for us. Even as master and rabbi and teacher and savior, he serves. Before we become a community that is known for foot washing, we need to be a community that first lets our feet be washed by the master. And so the first thing we need to do, the very first thing we need to do is receive. The second thing we need to do is give. We receive not in order to keep, right? Receiving and keeping are two very different things. We receive so that we can give it away. We are to be conduits of God's loving service, not cul-de-sacs. We're avenues, not cul-de-sacs. Love flows through us, not just to us. Grace has come to us on the way to someone else. And so we do the menial task that no one else wants to do. We perform the dirty duties that are often left undone. Do you understand what this means? It means at least this, that if and when we get our own building, I will be the first one to be washing them toilets, okay? I will be the first one to do the most menial of tasks because we're called to serve one another. We're called to put our money where our mouth is. We're called to receive from Jesus so that we can give. So the first thing we need to do is receive. The second is give. Finally and third, as I invite the band up, is to examine to simply examine our expectations of what we believe following Jesus means. If you're going to be honest with yourself, what are your expectations of what it means to follow Jesus? Are we expecting him to come through on promises that he's never made so that when suffering comes our way, our response is one of question rather than humble patience? And we do not put questions away here at Anchor Southwest, by the way. We question everything. But is one one of, of hardness? Do we respond to suffering in, with hardness? Or do we respond to it in humble patience? Judas betraying Jesus for a slave's price is not so far from me. Let me not just speak for all of us. Maybe you're not comfortable with being put in that place. It's not so far from me because I feel sometimes God hasn't come through for me. God hasn't fit the bill that I thought he would fill for me. But there's a better way than the way of Judas. It's the way of humble submission to the work and the ways and the wisdom of God. Ways that subvert the present kingdoms of the world. Ways that surprise us. Ways that flip upside down our ideas of what it means to rule. Ways that turn inside out of what it means to be a family after God's own heart. I'm going to leave you with this uh, from Severian of Gabala from around 400 AD. They said this, He who wraps the heavens in clouds wrapped around himself a towel. He who pours the water into the rivers and pools tipped water into a basin. And he before whom every knee bends in heaven and on earth and under the earth knelt to wash the feet of his 
disciples. And so may we anchor Southwest, accept being served, accept the foot washing gospel. May we perform this foot washing ethic and may we heed the foot washing warning and may we believe, truly believe that greatness will be found not in titles, but in humility and in service. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that when you chose to reveal yourself, Lord, you revealed yourself as a servant, as a friend. And so we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you are good. We thank you that you've come not to be served, but to serve. And even now, Jesus, fully human, fully God, right now, reigning at the right hand of the Father, even now, you serve us still. You intercede for us still. You pray for us still. You serve us still. And so may we be shocked and awed by what you went through, Jesus, to serve us well. And may we then in turn do this for a world that is in desperate need, not of people who are clamoring for power, but people who simply want to serve. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. One of